Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, Tractor Zoom delivering insights. So, auctions market right now is a very as much volatility in the in the tractor marketplace right now as we see in the overall markets for um, just tops are, are going off and there's all kinds of crazy things happening and plenty of inventory out there not much inventory out there to take stock of so you need to be paying attention to what's going on in the auction market if you're not doing that and because uh, things can change real quick and if it if they change real quick and you don't pay attention you're going to get caught and stung so make sure you do that great place to do that is iron comps from tractor zoom so as usual, this week I've got Sean Hackett back on here to talk about what's going on in the market. Sean's kind enough to come on once a week and kind of give his two cents as to what's happening. And, you know, fortunately, Sean, um, since you've been on here, we've had plenty of things to talk about. And what we see happening now is what you've been talking about for a while, that this blow-off top July concept that you've been talking about for a while looks like uh, looks like we might have that based on what we saw yesterday from from the uh, report that came out as well as you know throw on a weather market on top of that there's some pretty good opportunities to see markets take off and run yeah i mean it really is um we kind of uh we sent a, re- a, a report out on the day before the report on tuesday warning that this you know that were just too many people bearish about this acreage report that Everyone was leaning on the one side, and we kind of felt that the market was going to get surprised, that the acres wouldn't be as big as they thought, and that we could have a big surprise rally. And, and of course, if you lower the acres, then you tighten up the balance sheets, and, and it makes weather even more critical than it was before. And that's exactly what happened. You know, we, we totally caught everyone leaning to the bear side, and now they're, they're – you know they're 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 running for cover, trying to get themselves out of the mess that they're in, and um, and and now the core part of the drought cycle, spring pollination in mid late July that's been our forecast for a while is about to kick in, with a much tighter balance sheet. So it's um it's a quite a setup, but but remember now we do want to start. We want to think about cash sales in the month of July. You know we haven't made that recommendation in a while, Casey, but you know we've been kind of waiting for this time but you this is the time to be thinking about making cash sales and don't try to sell the weather market top good luck 
You know, no one can exactly pick that moment. You know, markets can get very flighty as you get into these final phases, but you definitely want to be feeding your cash sales into this market as we move into the end of July, because it probably is going to put in a high, we think, until we get past, you know, late harvest or the late fall. And so, so this is a really important time to not fumble the ball and, and, and get, get your crop monetized at prices that are fantastic um, and, and should do real well to, uh, to, to help farmers rebuild some of those balance sheets that were ruptured for the last three, four, five, eight years. Yeah, so. yeah that's, that's no doubt. There's, there's lots of opportunity out there right now across the board, whether you're talking about commodity prices, equipment prices on the use side, Whatever you sell, you're buying back at the high of the market, no doubt about that. But you're also putting yourself in a position where you're really starting to grow that equity and grow that position. Talk about yesterday's report a little bit and, and some of those shockers there. So yesterday, I was I was kind of shocked that the market started out the way they did. I think they were down, I think corn might have been down almost 10 cents. And then as the report came out, it kind of took off and ran. And I believe it finished up. Uh, almost a 45 cent swing for the day, if I remember correct, something in that neighborhood. So, talk about what was in that report that was that was so glaringly uh, bullish to uh, to all the traders. Well, the average estimate was looking for um, a three to four million acre increase in corn acres from the March planting intentions report, and instead they got a million and a half. I mean, it's a huge miss. By the way. Mm-hmm. Every single year, the consensus is wrong by millions with an S right. of acres yeah. every year. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a question of they're going to be wrong by millions, which way they're going to be wrong. We felt that they were wrong too high. Mm-hmm. And so when you take an expectation of three or four million acres and it's instead it comes down to a million, I mean, you've just dramatically changed the outlook for what the balance sheet is going to look like, what the crop needs to be, and... And, and, and now the margin of error is even more narrow. So, so before, the balance sheet was this. If we added 3 million acres, if we had a one, low 170 yield, which is where we think we're going to be, and you assume demand remains stagnant, we thought we would have carryouts around a billion bushels, give or take. But if you take a million to two million acre, a million and a half to 2 million acres off now, that no longer works. That's a zero. Um, now of course, the market not going to get to zero, and you know it hasn't determined yet that I'm correct about the low 170 yield. But what I'm saying now is now the yield can be 175, 176, mm-hmm. 177, and it's a it's a billion bushel carryout. So 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 now we only need just a little bit of a fall off in yields to get the same result that we needed 10 bushel to the acre below trend. So um, you know that's a big deal. And that's why we were limiting up in the corn market and, and just totally, you know, ran over the bears who got, um, you know, just got it wrong. And, uh, and in the soybean market, it was kind of equally as shocking. Everyone was looking for, you know, a million to two million more acres. And the, U- and the USDA said, you know, flat or actually down just a little bit. So once again, we already had carryouts of 150 million, 180 million bushel carryouts with, the, with where the USDA was. Um, and so the market was saying, well, we're going to get some acres. We're going to get some breathing room. Now we are once again at a point where we didn't get the acres. We're sitting with bare minimum pipeline levels. And if we have any little dip in the yield at all, Casey, it's a zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a zero carryout. So, so that's what's in front of us. 
is what does the market have to do to not have a zero next July before the next crop comes in? And that's where, you know, that's what's called demand rationing. That's where the market, and of course, the job, the job of the market now is, is between the month of July and the month of August to try to determine what is the yield going to be. Um, we're much more optimistic that the soybean yields will turn out better because we think August weather is actually going to improve quite a bit. But we're very, very, um, you know, we're not feeling very good about how the corn yield is going to turn out. Because I think the bullseye of the drought cycle is going to be this mid-late July time frame as 65% of all the core corn is pollinating this year because it got planted so rapidly in such a short window. It's, it's just a bullseye. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, so, so then, so, so that's what the, what's in front of us. The market's got to price that in. And once it does price it in and the weather improves, you know, then the market's going to start looking out to the South American crop. They're going, to, they're going to, you know, mow down the rest of the Amazon and plain acres. You know, that's what's going to start to be talked about. And you're going to have this big break in the market into the fall harvest. But we're still got to get to pricing in what is, you know, what is that number? And we, we don't know it yet. We can't possibly know the number, Casey, as you know, until we get through pollination and until soybeans get through pod setting in August. Right. So, so there's going to be a lot of volatility. But we think, you know, we certainly have more upside pricing to go before I think the market uh, uh, correctly prices in what we're looking at here. Yep. So, Okay, let's talk about two other things real quick. The hog market still seems to be in, in a very strong position. I saw the day they were, they, they were up quite a bit, and they were, I want to say, up around two bucks. So things have really, have really hold, held on there. And you take, but you take a look over at the livestock marketplace on the cattle side, and there's still some pretty good volatility in there bouncing around. So talk about those two markets right there and what your expectations are as we go through this grilling season. Well, I mean, the August hog market had this crash that we had talked about was right. likely to occur. We dropped from 100, you know, 120 down to 96 or 95. It was yeah. just a complete crash. And finally, you know, we started to see the, the cutout price fall, the demand start to fall. We talked about how eventually demand would run out of gas here right. domestically. And, of course, with the pork, uh, with the cat, um, hog price in China having crashed, there's just, just not going to be a lot of Chinese demand here for uh, at least into the fall. Um, so we're getting kind of what we call uh, a technical bounce. You know, when, you, when you crash the market that hard, you're going to have you know some of these 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 bounces from a technical support level and 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 we're probably going to start chopping our way sideways I and mean, that's a heck of a knockdown in in the in the hog market and so we we think that you know the the crash portion of the declines over we're probably just going to start consolidating in a volatile trading range like we've just seen back and forth while the market absorbs where are, do we need to go lower or is this enough for now cattle market's a different spot we're feeling very good about the cattle market um, we think if you looked at what happened with the JBS hacking shutdown panic sell-off that should have been limit down that day, but wasn't. In fact, we should have had limit down two days, three days in a row, and it wasn't even limit down that day, and it turned back up the next day. That Something happened there, Casey. There was a, sh a, a, a psychological shift in the cattle market that if it couldn't do more than that on a JBS hacking shutdown, uh, that means that the animals are getting tighter. That means that the yep. weights are coming down. That means that the supply is coming down. And when you look at the cattle on feed report that we got out, it's showing significant declines in placements going forward and in the, in the, in the animal uh, weights falling. So, so we're th we think we finally are starting to get the supply side 
of the equation um, down to where the, the throughput capacity problem that we've been talking about is starting to not be an issue. Demand for beef is just is going to continue to be strong. Um, and so we're, we're liking this market, Casey. We think despite higher feed prices, we think a lot of herd liquidation has occurred and we think the market is ready to go higher here. Opposite. So like hogs went crazy and in the, in the, in the cattle market just wouldn't follow. Now it's like we're going through an inversion of these two markets. We like the cattle market. We think it's going higher. We think there's a selling opportunity that's coming, but we don't think we're there yet. So, yeah, there's just been a lot of movement there, and it's been been very. It's, I think we're kind of past that. Obviously, things are still kind of opening up, but that's not the main driving factor anymore. It's there's other things that are that are factoring in that. All right, one last thing, Sean. Um, you had a report that came out. I was on vacation last week, so for whatever reason, I couldn't push record. I just couldn't find the button when I was on vacation. But but when um, a couple of weeks ago, you put out a report talking about flash droughts and what that looked like and how those things all start to play together. Um, last week, when I was back home, <clears throat> back home in Kansas, there were uh, plenty of rainstorms that came through, especially on Friday of last week, um, right around the Wichita area, all the way through up to Kansas City, off into northwest Iowa and, and all that area. You know, my immediate area where I was at, there was rain anywhere from depending on where you're at two inches and and i heard up to 10 inches in some places and all that came overnight so obviously when you get rain like that in a very short amount of time it doesn't do a lot of good it runs off and causes flooding and and it doesn't really soak into the ground that's already there as these temperatures start to warm back up sean and and we're kind of in this this lull where everyone's like oh this is a great summer so far look it's only 85 degrees and as things start to warm back up and we're going to get back into the 90s next week and the higher 90s where I'm at here and, and we start kind of touching that century mark, are we back into that possibility of having that flash drought kind of pop back up again? First, I want to, let's review June. Okay. June was 3.8 degrees in the Corn Belt above normal. It actually was the hottest June in the Corn Belt in 40 years. So let's... Let's just put that out there that that's, we know what June did. We, mm -hmm. we know that this is what happened. Um, and we know that the most important yield determining variable for corn yields is temperature. If it's two degrees or more above normal, you're not going to have a trend line yield crop because the heat just ruins the development of the, of the corn crop, especially as you go through the phases. This is what gave us the courage of our conviction last year to make that call that Corn, acres were, uh, corn yields were too high by 10 bushel to the acre. We think that July, of course, July is always hotter mm -hmm. than June climactically, but we're, we're talking about relative to normal. We don't think we'll be 3.8 degrees above normal for, for June, above normal. We think we're going to be closer to 2.5 to 3 degrees above normal, but still would be one of the top three um, hottest Julys in the Corn Belt. Of course, this is the pollination month. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that unless you have very deep subsoil moisture and very deep root structure that has access to that moisture, all you get from these rains is a wetting of the topsoil. And that's good, by the way. I mean, that, that helps. I mean, we'll right. take what we can get. But what you throw in, you know, 95 degrees, 20 mile an hour winds, and that topsoil moisture, it just it just evaporates. That's we we talk about this evaporation mm -hmm. index that the uh, government puts out um, that shows how rapidly the moisture is depleting from the soil. And if you don't have subsoil and it's only on the top, 
literally within a day or two, it's all gone. That moisture is if it right. never fell, and that's what's called a flash drought. You right. say, oh, yeah, we're looking good, and then boom, two days, you're, all, you're, you're looking at drought-like stress on your on your crops just like that because you just those roots are shallow and they and they don't have access to deep subsoil moisture like they normally do. Right. So this is going to be a feature, um, big feature as we move into mid July and late July when this heat really kicks in. And we think it's also a reason why the corn crop ratings, by the way, fell one percentage point, confounding everyone. Even though we had some moisture because we're not. It, the evaporation index is these rates are not doing the kind of good they would normally be doing if we had kind of average temperatures and we didn't have this rapid evaporation index that we have this year. And so even when moisture falls, everyone says, oh, it's going to be good. It's not having the same benefit that it normally would. And that's a problem because if you can't get the crop to, to improve when you get the rains, when you get back to the drought cycle, it just falls off a cliff again in, in, in crop ratings. Yeah. So. yeah, so it's something to pay attention to. I just I've noticed that where even – Driving home, uh, just driving around here, where we've had some pretty decent rains out here in Scotts Bluff and out here in the Panhandle, you're already starting to see that stress come back in on that on the corn that's already there, and that's we're irrigating on top of that. So it just shows you how little soil, how little soil moisture there actually is out there. And there's no doubt those areas, you know, and we never know how. It's always hard to know what how widespread they are, but those areas that did get those seven, eight, <clears throat> nine inches, ten inches of rain. 14 inches of rain in some areas, you know, that's not good for the crop. I mean, no. That's a disaster. No. You, you throw that kind of water on parched soil, it's a, it's a disaster. So yep. none of that rain is, is – it's actually the worst possible. It would be better to stay yep. dry. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So. You're, you're flooding things and, and eroding, washing things away. And, yeah, it's just not – it's not a good situation, Sean. All right, Sean. Now, so, so, so I guess where I'm getting at is that um, – uh, the acreage report yesterday was was a, a game changer in that it just made the margin of error, which was already very narrow, mm -hmm. even more, more narrow. narrow. Yeah. And and makes whether whether every single weather wiggle and waggle even that much more important. So we have to price this in. Right. And yes, yeah, there's going to be days of speculators just aside all as well. <laughs> We've seen this happen with sp uh, the spring wheat market where they drop it 50 cents when nothing's really changing. So you know, we have to expect that the speculators are going to do some silly things. But bottom line is that we have to price all of this in. We think we'll price it in as we move it to the end of July. Whatever the number is, we'll price it in. And then that's when you're going to really want to make sure you monetize your crop. Right so, well, good stuff. Well, Sean, good stuff is normal. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what Hackett Financial can do for them. What's the best way to do that? Uh, our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com, all kinds of interviews and sample reports on there. And we're going to be on the Market to Market show this Friday. For those that watch that, um, you might want to check us out. They also have a recording on the Market to Market website, and we'll also be posting that to our website as well. Right so. on. Well, good deal. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you will find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast as well as going to movingironllc.com. That's where you'll find the entire library of the Moving Iron Podcast, and uh, you get to see what's going on with the Moving Iron Summit coming up in September. That's be September 15th through the 17th, Nashville, Tennessee. Sean's going to be there. He's going to be bringing some good and more news, a lot of great news about flash droughts and all that other fun stuff that that, that we like to talk about here on on the Moving Iron Podcast. So, Sean, happy times, happy, happy times. times, yeah. So you've been there once before. Talk a little bit about um, 
what you're going to be talking about and what you see happening kind of a little bit about uh, uh, about the summit itself? We're really going to be laying the foundation for, for the winter and for the next planting season next spring that we see coming for the Northern Hemisphere and for the U.S. We're going to lay out the variables, the cycles, when why we're expecting this to be such a, a long, severe, debilitating uh, winter that's going to impact not only, you know, livestock, but, you know, winter wheat crop and planting uh, conditions and, and also, you know, energy markets like natural gas, you know, that farmers use a lot of. We're going to lay out the, the, the framework, the foundation for our work on those cycles, what it portends, what we see coming, and how um, you might be able to adjust what you do to mitigate some of that risk. Yep. So. And the one thing about I will say about Sean is that he's been on the, the podcast now for almost almost three years now, right? Sean, in September almost. or December, it'd be almost three years. Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, when you have... Uh, I, I can sit back and say that Sean has been more accurate with what he sees happening with the weather, not necessarily day-to-day forecast type stuff, but the long-term climactic, you know, look for cold winter, uh, cold weather in, in February or March or some, you know, bomb cycle thing coming through. And he's, he's been more right than he hasn't been. And and I, I it's, it's shocking to me, especially when you – you sit across from a guy once a week, and he tells you something. And you're like, whatever, Sean. That's the, it's 65 degrees right now, and then no, it's going to be 32 next week. So just be ready. <laughs> like, okay, and then, boom, and he's right. So I mean, things like that. Sean, Sean is really dialed in. He's got some really great data that he can follow, and, and whatever you can go out and take a look at what's going on in his. Uh, uh, on his website with the SAMP reports and those kind of things, make sure you go do that because there's a ton of information there that is uh, that points people in, in a very good direction. So, Sean, thanks for being on the podcast today, man. Hey, it's been it's been great. I love doing it, and I uh, and I look forward to continuing to do it. There's a lot to talk about, and 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 I think we can help a lot of people here as we move forward. Absolutely, so. I'm looking forward to it. So, make sure you go to movingironllc.com get all the information about the Moving Iron Summit coming up and agendas. Uh, room reservations, uh, how to register, all those kind of things right there on the website. So uh, make sure you do that. That'll that'll uh, come ahead here pretty quick. We've got about another 45 days or so before the, the room block fills up there. And, uh, you know, so uh, everyone I've done, every one of these I've ever done, they've always sold out. So I don't think, I think especially coming off of uh, the coronavirus shutdown, I feel like people are itching to get out. So if you're interested in doing that, hit me up at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. And I can get you some more information about it, or just go to the website and follow the steps there, and you'll get yourself registered. So, with that, I am Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The reach of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher
here moving higher.